tenth. And uh, thank you for all the the good music today. I'm going to sit down today. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, because you always get to sit down. No, that's not why. <laughs> I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, it's good to be home. We got home uh, Tuesday afternoon. We were up in Virginia in the shadow of the nation's capital. Um, flew into Reagan last Friday, and I spoke to a group of senior adults on uh, Saturday in a gymnasium <clears throat> and then preached in my the church I was in before I came to this church in Alexandria and then uh, preached twice there Sunday morning. And then uh, my sister came down from Delaware. She lives 100 miles away, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, in Delaware. And then she and her husband came down Sunday afternoon. And so we spent Sunday afternoon and then uh, Monday and then uh, Tuesday morning with her. And we just had a really delightful time with she and her husband, Bill. Went up to, I think it's called National Harbor there. Some of you have been there uh, in Maryland. Beautiful, beautiful place. And just had a great time. I appreciate your prayers for Melanie. She had a another scan and had a good report. It's the first good report she's had or that the... Uh, Chemotherapy was uh, effective, so uh, if you would keep your prayers up for her, we'd be very thankful. She asked me to convey her gratitude to you, and that's what I'm doing uh, right now. So thank you so much. On uh, Saturday, a week ago yesterday, eight days ago, I was in the gym. They had a riser in the gym for me to speak from. I played the piano. And uh, the pastor had called me and asked me to play some songs and talk about the songs and asked me to talk in between the songs. And I said, well, I can do that. I said, I do that all the time. So after I did it, he said, that was really good. How many times have you done that? And I said, oh, I've never done that. He said, well, you said you do that all the time. I said, oh, I do. I do it all the time. I said, I do it all the time for myself. I said, that's the first time I've ever done that publicly. I said, I just did publicly what I do privately, and I just poured out of my heart what I do when I play privately. And so uh, the uh, it was a high-riser, high-rise, I didn't mean to say that, uh, but it was about, not there, but about that high. And the shoes I had on were not these, these dress shoes. It had been worse for the dress shoes, but they didn't have a good grip. In fact, they had no traction at all on them, and they had... Uh, carpet on the riser there's a pretty big riser with a piano up there and uh, <clears throat> and then when I, I my left foot went up there that was my first step I slipped on it and I fell and on the edge of the riser was a, a metal and I cut my leg and they had all kinds of fall decorated pumpkins I'm not, I'm not exaggerating pumpkins flew everywhere I mean it was all over the place you'd have loved it and uh, <clears throat> Paula said, I almost ran up there, but I knew you hated stuff like that, me being your mother and everything. I said, well, I'm surprised you didn't take pictures. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But uh, it's really sore. So I got to go to the doctor and, and, uh, and find out what's going on. It's gotten progressively 
progressively worse. Of course, I'm a big sissy about stuff like that. But really, it's hurting, so I didn't want to stand up today. And I would, I would sit behind here. But years ago, I wasn't feeling very good from, from some things that were going on in my body. So I, I, I sit behind here. And I thought, well, I'll just sit down. The church won't care. And I got home, and my kids, you know my kids, they're, they're bad kids. And, and, and they said, Daddy, you look like a judge up there. And I am not getting behind there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to talk over here a little bit, and then I'm going to go over there. I'm going to be equal opportunity preacher and go back and forth. So appreciate your patience. But we had a wonderful, wonderful time with our, our friends up there. Uh, staff members and, and teenagers, and those teenagers are uh, are in their fifties now. Uh, some of them in their late fifties. Uh, we went up there. I told them December the eighteenth. Uh, it will have been forty. Let's see, forty one years ago that we went up there. A long time ago. Uh, is that right, Paula? I think so. Yeah, forty one years ago that we went up there to serve with them. And uh, God gave us a, a rich and, and fruitful ministry there. And life uh, brings challenges. It brings adversity. And when you live half a def- decade, I'm talking about these these teenagers that we've, we've worked with, um, thing, things happen. Um, divorces happen. Suffering happens. Disease happens. Loss happens. I was in a Zaxby's. I think it was a Zaxby's. They have these little quotes up. I think it was in Scottsboro. And it said, uh, John Wayne, and they attributed this quote to him. It said, uh, uh, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. And I thought, boy, that's true. And it? it's bad enough as it is. You know, that, no, get me wrong. There's an abundant life. But life is hard. Job said the sparks fly up, upward. And uh, life can be very difficult. But sometimes we make it harder because of our, our stupidity. And as I, I wrote that down uh, this past week, I, I thought this, all of us have been stupid. Uh, we've made stupid mistakes. We have regrets. But the tragedy is when we keep on being stupid and we keep on making bad choices, bad decisions, and as I have ministered to these teenagers that I served with up there, some of them, uh, I don't count. I'm not a guy that knows how many funerals and how many weddings. I'm not against people that do it. I'm just not smart enough to do it. I, I've got a file on it, but never have counted it. But um, I've done a number of their weddings and uh, have stayed in touch with them. In fact, some of them sent me emails this week. I replied to one of them yesterday. And they are my friends stayed in touch with them through the years, and they have scars uh, on their heart, um, some of them because of bad choices that they have made. And I was just uh, preparing this as something I've been talking to you about, and it's just, it's just burled, it's just burled in my heart. I wanted to talk to you about gratitude, but uh, the Lord wouldn't let me. He wants me to talk to you about this today, about wisdom about how to grow in wisdom. And before you can grow in wisdom, you have to appreciate wisdom. You have to value something. 
you're not going to you're not going to pursue something you don't value. And uh, I wish with all of my heart that that I could just open my chest, as it were, and and you could just see my heart about how important this is because of. Uh, of where I sit and the things that I've heard, not just uh, from those kids, but uh, other places in our church and, and the things that people have done and um, that they wish they hadn't done. Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, I don't think I told you to turn anywhere. Proverbs 4 and Ephesians 6. I want you to look in those two places. Proverbs chapter 4 and Ephesians 6. Uh, there's a scripture in a Proverbs 4 that we've looked at several times, and we'll look at it again, because to me, it, it really is kind of the sum of, of what I've been talking to you about. Proverbs 4, 7, where the Bible says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom... And with all that getting, get understanding. This is the wisest man in the world writing this, Solomon. And this is the summation. He says, therefore, watch this. He says, wisdom is a principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all that getting, get understanding. It's the principal thing. The word principal there means that which is first in time, that which is first in order, that which is first in rank. It has the idea of first place. It ought to be first place in our life. We ought to pursue wisdom. And wisdom is not intelligence. It's not being smart. Uh, Many people are educated fools. This is is not intelligence. Nothing wrong with being intelligent. But it's not... you, You can have average intelligence and be wise. You know... If you look in your Bible, if you have it open, if you notice in that chapter, verse 1, he says, Hear ye children. In verse 10, he says, Hear, O my son. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, My son. And much of Proverbs is a conversation from a father to his child. Uh, and many times there, over a dozen times, My son, my son. And, and hear, my son. He's, he's pleading. He's pleading with his kids. Wisdom is a principal thing. You can just hear the urgency here from a dad to his, to his kids. It's the principle. This is primary. It's, it's urgent. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. I'd rather for you to have wisdom than to make the dean's list. I'd rather for you to have wisdom than to make a lot of money. I'd rather for you to have wisdom than to have connections and if you, read, if you read in Proverbs especially, when you have wisdom, a lot of these things come about. But it's a principal thing. So I was uh, thinking about this this week. I, I thought about how many times uh, I would tell my kids um, when they were younger, and even sometimes when they're older, something like this. Now, now, was that the wise thing to do? But even when they were younger, because I was trying to get them used to the idea of the pursuit of wisdom. And, and, and it wasn't just right or wrong. You see, you see, wisdom is not just 
right or wrong. It's good, better, and best. So we're so consumed sometimes. We just, well, my kid's not in jail. Yeah, but that's not it. It's good, better, and best. And so it was that the wise thing to do? What is the wisest thing to do? And so wisdom is obvious in, in our decisions with, that are major because they have major consequences. So people come and say, preacher, pray for me because I have this big job opportunity. It may involve a move or I need to know if I ought to marry this person. And they, they have major consequences. But I want to submit to you that wisdom is important in the small choices. You've heard the expression, death by a thousand cuts. That means it's just suffering little bit by little bit. It's just, well, there's almost stupidity by a thousand decisions. You know, you just make so many dumb little decisions that at some point, how did I end up here? Well, it wasn't any one thing you did. It was just a whole bunch of little things that you did that were absent wisdom. But let me invert that. There's also, there's also... Where a person arrives at a good place in life, and I hope I get there at the end of the message with this, but you arrive at a good place in life because of wisdom by a thousand choices, not by one big thing. And I've tried to emphasize this in the pulpit here so many times from day one that I've been here. I think we make God's will so spooky and, and you know, it's mystical, and it's not, it's practical. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that, that you may uh, know what is a good and perfect will of God. And you do that by, by doing the will of God. What is God's will for my life today? The way to be in the will of God tomorrow is do the will of God today. And you'll be in the will of God tomorrow. It's easy. It's not spooky. Boy, you sure did luck out. No, no, no. Made some good choices. There was no luck. It's not spooky. And it was, it was, it was little, little tiny little thing. I better not go out with them tonight. There, something God's telling me in my heart, this is really not the best crowd to run with. And that one decision saved a thousand heartaches. You know, when God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, it wasn't because Mary was... She was a virgin. She made some decisions. When God chose Joseph to be the stepfather of Jesus, if you read in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. And that wasn't one decision. There were little consequential decisions along the way. Sometimes we look at people, they have these opportunities. Well, God loves them more than he loves me. No, they love God more than you love God. And they have more wisdom. And, and once you realize that God is not, God wants to bless you. Your life is hard, but it's, it's harder when you're stupid. And sometimes it takes a really hard fall or really to, to wake us up. Someone said, first you make your decisions, then your decisions make you. And that's what I'm saying. We are the sum of our choices. Wherever you are now is what you've been becoming. But now stop. Stop. What you're doing now is what you're going to be tomorrow. 
So if you don't like where you're at now, you need to change some things and rearrange some things so you can be different tomorrow. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, every choice you make has an end result. I like that quote. It's not a Bible quote, but it's, it's steeped in Galatians 6, 7. I like that quote. Every choice you make has an end result. Every one, for good or bad. And we need wisdom to know, okay, what, what am I supposed to do here? One of the things that I've done through the years that's helped me to make wise choices is to become, and listen to the way I say this, a man of principles. Now, we talk about being a principled man. I know what that means. That's a good thing. But I want to be a man of principles. And I can't go back and find out when I did this, but for some reason, I'm always looking for principles. And when I listen to someone preach, when I'm reading the Bible, one of the things I do is I'm always looking for principles, if-then clauses, because of, you know, root causes. And here's the root, here's the fruit. If I want the fruit, I have to have the root. And I'm looking for these things, and, and then here's what happens. Is I let, I let the principle make the decision for me. Now, that takes the emotion out of it. And that, that has served me well. And I want to be careful because I'm not trying to be a Pharisee here. God knows my heart because I've done some really stupid stuff. But when I've done those stupid things, it, it was because I didn't allow the principle to make the decision for me. I violated some of God's principles. But I want to, I want to beg you. I want to beg you that I read a, this morning someone had put on Twitter. They said it was a pastor friend of mine. He said, make sure you go to church this morning. He said, you may hear a message that could change your life. And I said, boy, that is so true. And I thought, boy, when you go to church, make sure you listen because you may hear a principle that can change your life. One principle that you can apply, not just every day, but several times a day, and become a, a person of principles. Years ago, one of my, my kids uh, told one of their friends, they said, uh, my dad has a reason for everything he does. And I turned around, they were teenagers. My, I wanted to look at them. I had never told them that. I never said, no, I have a reason for everything. I never said that. I never really even thought it. But they had picked that up. They picked that up that he can explain why he does what he does. He has reasons. He has principles. And I want to challenge you to, to be principled in your marriage, to be principled in your friendship. You see, that's what success is. Success always has cause. Success always is rooted in, in God's God's motives and God's reasons. So God wants us to have wisdom because without it we have conflict, we have failure, we have unnecessary problems in our life. Now, uh, let's change gears here. Every person should value wisdom because that's what I want you to do is pursue it because of the benefits that it brings. Wisdom has benefits. Now, later on, God willing, I want to talk to you about how to find it. But as I was putting this together months and months ago, and that's one of my principles, don't prepare sermons in the week. There's a difference in eating microwave food and food that's, that's cooked over a 
a long period of time. So years and year, decades ago, I, I started preparing so for when you meditate over things, it's better. And I thought, you know, if if they're not going to listen if they don't value things, so why, why give them the solution if they're not interested in it? So I want to give you four times when wisdom is important, and it will show up if you have wisdom and if you don't have wisdom. So let's jump into this. Uh, let me move over here. I promised you I would do this. I'm not doing this for entertainment. I just feel like over there, uh, I'm not being of help to people. Matthew's falling asleep over here anyhow. I need to be a help to him. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, leaders need wisdom. If you are a leader, you need wisdom. Now, you may say, well, preacher, I'm not a leader. Listen, one day you will be, and some of you have influence over people, and you're a leader. Now, one way that you you become a leader is you solve problems. Now, some of you are going to end up being great leaders, but you don't become a leader by seeking leadership. In fact, I'm scared of people that want to be leaders. I hadn't told this story in a long time. We had some new people here many, many years ago, many years ago, and so nobody's going to know who this is. But our, our back by that one, two, three, that third beam back there, there was a wall. And that was kind of where the foyer was. There was a door back there. And uh, we had uh, some folks that came in from out of town from another state. And I shook their hand. I'd never met them before. It was their first time to church. And I said, I'm so glad you're here. Where are you from? And conversed with them. And he told me where he was from and what church. I said, well, that's great. And they had never been in church here before. He said, well, I was a deacon in that other church, and I was wondering if that would transfer here. And nobody had ever asked me that. And I said, well, you know, if Tim wasn't here. It happened now. I said, you need to ask Tim that question. <laughs> now, pe- people that seek authority, I'm scared of them. Because if, you, if you're not willing to serve, you're not willing to lead because you won't treat people right. Remember the old days, the way they elected presidents? You weren't going around telling people how good you were, cutting people down, and finding dirt on people. And tell, you know what they did? They, did, they came to a convention having kind of a rough idea who might, but there were three or four And they elevated them, and sometimes it's kind of like Saul hiding among the stuff. They had to pull them out and say, hey, here's not, I don't want to do it. They had to pull them out. Well, it's not that way anymore. Now, hey, I want to, I'm good. I'm successful. I'm fast. I'm quick. I'm handsome. I can save America. And we're in a mess because of a lack of leadership because we think leadership is charisma. And it's not. And here's what I'm telling you. We need some wise leaders, and if you want to be a wise leader, you may say, well, I'm not a leader. Well, you could be if you just learn to solve problems. If you're 14 years old, just, just solve problems at work. Whatever level you're at, just not just do what you're told to do. 
You know, I used to say go the second mile. Ziegler, the great theologian again, said, it's never crowded at the second mile. It's not even crowded at the first mile anymore. But if you go the second mile, you will be noticed. But I'm not just talking about fulfilling your responsibility, but solve problems. Be a problem solver. And when I was a staff member, I, I tried not to, to dump problems on my leader's desk. Now, I know there was a boundary where I could go out and just do things beyond what he wanted me to do. But I wanted to solve problems for him and say, hey, here's, here's some things I thought about. And then leave it with him. But I didn't want to be that guy. You know, it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to identify problems. But, you know, just be a problem solver. Another aspect of leadership is is decision-making. Leaders make profound decisions, and they make a lot of decisions. And if you make decisions that are not informed, let's say you have a position of leadership, and and you don't understand that, that there's consequences to your decision. Every decision you make has consequences. Now, some of you may not know this, but through the years, now there's some bad to this, but there's a lot of good to it. My philosophy is that you make decisions at the lowest level possible. I'm not a micromanager. If you work in the nursery, well, you come to me. I want to know everything. Well, preacher doesn't know anything. No, I'm not. I don't know what's going on in the nursery. They do. Well, Melinda, tell me what you need. Well, what's happening? And one of the things when we talk at staff, when, when in, in department areas, is, well, you need to ask them because this is just basic stuff. But but be careful with your decisions. Don't be a micromanager. Be a macro. Decision maker. And that listen, that takes wisdom. Because when you get 40,000 feet above rather than five feet above, you become more considerate of other people. How's this going to impact other people? What's this going to do to folks? And then all of a sudden the decision, once it's implemented and people leave, you find out why did they leave? Well, I didn't consider that. Well, the reason we didn't consider is we weren't wise. Because wise leaders are macro leaders, they're not micro leaders. Now there is a place for, because a manager, a manager deals with micro. Leaders deal with macro. Now the Bible says, let me show you a leader in the Bible. His name is Joshua. In Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9, look look here. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of, of wisdom. You see that? He was full of the spirit of wisdom. Now, wisdom is a gift from God. And God gave this man wisdom to lead the people. I believe every great leader, spiritual leader, have, has wisdom from God. And God will give you the wisdom that you need to lead. You, you want that edge. And I don't mean edginess. I'm talking about that edge of effectiveness. Ecclesiastes chapter, I think it's 9 and verse 10 or 10 and verse 10. You you want that effectiveness. You you want to wet it, W-H-E-T. You want to sharpen that edge. You want to be effective. And the way that you you wet it, you sharpen it, is you learn principles. What not to do, what to do. And sometimes you learn that by mistake. Sometimes you learn that just by experience. 
The Bible says of Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 34 and all, Israel heard, he was a king, remember, heard of the judgment which the king, this is Solomon, had judged. And they feared the king, for they saw that the look at this, that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Now, I've got other references. We don't have time to look at this. But here, here's the idea is wisdom established his leadership, not because he was promoted. Now, some of you may get promoted because you've been in the company a long time. But if you want to get promoted in the eyes of people, you have to have wisdom. And that's, that you become effective. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 8, A man shall be commended according to his wisdom. The word commended means praised. It, the Hebrew word has the idea of a brightly shining light that's flashing. It means you're calling attention to yourself. But you're not calling attention to yourself. It's wisdom, which is always humble, because you can't have wisdom without humility. It's credited to God. But this wisdom is calling out, hey, you need to listen to him or her. They have a lot of wisdom. They're over there. They're going the second mile. They know how to solve problems. You're promoting all these. What about them? And then God in due time, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, will promote those, the Bible says, in his hand, under his hand actually. And he will protect you and he will promote you. Again, in Ecclesiastes seven nineteen, wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men. The word mighty there means people in places of authority which are in the city. You know what that means? It's, it's kind of a, a, a picture there that one person with wisdom is worth ten people, political people that, that have places of authority. Just one, one person that has wisdom is worth all of these office fillers. And, and, you know, while I'm talking, some of you are thinking of people, yeah, I know so-and-so, they don't have the, they don't have the office, but they're wise. And I, listen, I'd rather have the wisdom with at the office. I'd rather have the influence than, than the office, corner office with the nameplate. I'd rather have that. Here's another one. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. What does that mean? Well, that's not teaching passivism. There's a place for weapons. But here's what it is saying. There's times that wisdom is better than weapons where you wouldn't have to fight if you you knew how to use wisdom. That's what it's saying. You know, in the early church, in the early church, sometimes we romantically look back and say, well, they didn't have conflicts in the early church. That's not true. And uh, the widows weren't being fed, and they felt like there was favoritism. And so the first mention of what I believe were the deacons, they were raised up. And God brought the deacons to solve problems, not to cause problems. And I thank God for our, our deacons in His church through these years. But they, they were there to solve problems. You know what one of the characteristics was? Acts 6.3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And look at this. And wisdom, and wisdom, spiritual leaders in a church, they need to be men of wisdom. And there's so many applications to that. Let me give you a few more things here. Um, 
about this. I, I think this needs to be said. Leaders need wisdom because first they they face unique temptations. Satan targets people in leadership. I believe it was the Revolutionary War during the American Revolutionary War. And I, I don't know if it was the British or, or the Americans. I want to be accurate when I explain this. I think it was the British. But there was a there was a saying that said because you know they only had one one shot before they could refill that thing in the musket, and here's what they said: uh, shoot at the guys. Or they probably didn't say guys, but shoot at those with the brass buttons. Shoot at those with the brass buttons, because part of their dress, and they dress a lot more formally now, especially officers in the field. In fact, I was doing some reading trying to find this this past week. And, uh, and how that they did dress. But um, you could identify them in the field by their brass buttons. And if you shot an officer, if they were wounded or killed, it, it, it damaged the morale and also the infrastructure of what was happening in the battlefield. Shoot at those with the brass buttons. Satan does the same thing. Now, I know Satan's after you, and, and, uh, but I'm going to tell you, he, he's especially after the leaders of this church. He has my number. He has Tim and Daniel's number, and he has our family and our kids. And he's after you, too. I'm not diminishing that, but he's especially after us. Not because we're better Christians, but because our names are more known. And, you know, if, if some people messed up, they said, well, that's really sad. But if we messed up, it would be talked about a long time. And people have, some people, have higher expectations of our kids. I remember Alan Burdett years and years ago, one of our deacons, a wise man over here in our children's program, going through the memory verses, and one of my kids was struggling with the verses, and one of the... Uh, the other children said, well, they ought to know that verse. That's a pastor's kid. Alan said, well, hold on for a minute. Why should he know it better and, and you not know it? Why is he supposed to know the verse better than you? And he took up for my child. I didn't know about that for several years and somehow found out about it. I said, man, I want to kiss you, but a man's not supposed to kiss a man, so I can't kiss him. So I think I'll just hug your neck. I said, thank you so much for helping my son. In a place where I could not. But see, those are those are the little things sometimes or the expectations that we have a, a super duper gene our kids do, where they're not they're just regular kids. And sometimes it's not just the devils after them, but other people. They have expectations sometimes. And Satan targets leaders. He, listen, he targets school teachers, he's he targets superintendents, he he targets People that, that are in places of authority because leadership is spiritual warfare. It is. And what leaders do, listen, what leaders do in moderation, their followers will excuse in excess. There are some things that I don't do that may be okay to do, but I don't do them. Because other people are going to excuse in excess. And here's what's going to happen. It, it could become a pattern of behavior in their life, and it could create a generational sin. And I'll give an account for God for that one day. 
And you see, leaders face unique temptations, and Satan knows the power of that. Sad to say, more than we do sometimes. Oh, listen, those of you that are leaders, not just in the church, not just spiritual leaders, but at work. Listen, people watch you. They watch you. And you may not be a pastor here, but if you're a leader in this church, people watch you. And most of them have higher standards for you than they do themselves. I assure you they do. You said that's not right. Well, it's the way it is. And there are unique temptations. There's kind of a unique life there. And then I wrote down this. When I say this, you're going to say, duh, but stay with me. Leaders deal with people. Now, leaders are helping people towards a mission, but leaders deal with the people, not just their staff, but they deal with, with people. Now, a, an admiral in the Navy said this, you manage things, but you lead people. Now, here's why that's important. Because the minute you engage with people, you become a leader. And, and you can sit in a corner office and you can, you can manage things. And you, you, do not, you do not leave people with a manager's mindset. You just don't. You don't. You make a poor leader. You better learn, you better learn to love people because leading people is like herding cats. <laughs> you say, well, that's impossible. Absolutely. Your goal is not to make everybody happy. The mission is what's important. But especially in the church, that involves transforming people. Did you know that the word leadership is not even in the Bible? And the word leader is only used three times. And the word lead, I looked this up, is used 62 times. And of those 62 times, it's almost used exclusively of God. (laughs) Of God leading us. So we learn more about leading and leadership from God, and we ought to be more interested in how he leads us than than techniques. Now, that's not to say that leadership is not important to God, because the Bible says one of the terms for a pastor is bishop, bishop, uh, elder, and pastor. And, and, And a bishop has the idea of leadership. But listen, listen carefully. In the Bible, the pastor is not a cowboy. He's a shepherd. He's not a driver. He doesn't, the shepherd leads, he doesn't drive. He loves. The shepherd lays his life down for the people. You learn about this style of leadership in 1 Peter 5 and other places. I could say more about that, I have to hurry. Then I wrote this down, that leaders are sometimes misunderstood. This is hard. Sometimes they're misunderstood. Now, Here's the way it works in my world, and I think it is in your world too, if you're a leader, if you have the place of a leader. And here's why. Part of leadership is having access to information that other people do not have. And this is not, hey, I know this and you don't. That's not it. It's that I can't tell you, but I wish I could, then you wouldn't criticize me. Because when you're walking out in front of people Sometimes they're going to criticize you. Say, wait, you wouldn't say that if you knew, but I can't tell you. But if I did tell you, you would say, oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Oh, that changes things. Yeah, it does change things, but I can't tell you that. 
And there's a bunch of things that I will go to my grave with. But I can't tell you that. And leaders are sometimes misunderstood. Now, here's where the wisdom comes in as a leader is you need to be careful in what you say. And you just, it comes with the territory. And you need to have integrity. I remember I was at Shoney's here when it was over on on the parkway back in the um, late 80s with Dr. Robertson. He was here. And preaching, and there was a situation I, I didn't know whether to get involved with it or not. And Doctor Robertson said, "Oh no, son." He said, uh, "I wouldn't do that if I were you." He said, "I, I wouldn't say that." I said, "Okay." And immediately I thought, because he had more, I thought, "Wow!" And then he said, "This." He said, "You can't be quoted on what you don't say." I won't say that again. Doctor Robertson said, "You cannot be quoted on what you do not say." Now, what I just said is a principle. And I heard it over 30 years ago, and it was burned on my mind. And I thought, that's a good statement. And I thought, he's right, and I'm not going to say it. And it helped me. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 28, Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Now, this doesn't mean he's intelligent. It just means he's wise. He may have got a 16 on the ACT, but he sure is wise. Somebody else got a 36, and they run their mouth all the time. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10, 14, a fool also is full of words. Now, let me move back over here. (laughs) Next. And I'm going to close with this one. Those that preach the Bible... Those that preach the Bible need wisdom. Those that preach God's Word need wisdom. Now, pastors need wisdom for their work uh, just because of the nature of it. It's difficult. But pastors need wisdom when they preach uh, as they preach the Word of God. And as I said a while ago, there's a difference in something in the microwave and in the oven. And God begins to give you insight. He begins to teach you his heart. Not just what to say, but how to say it. When Stephen preached in Acts chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. The word resist there means to oppose and withstand. Now what influenced Stephen or what influenced the crowd that Stephen preached was, was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure, if you'll notice there, it's a small s. And I looked it up, it's the word pneuma. It could be the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power. Sure, that could be that. I don't know why the translators use a small s. or It meant his, his spirit, his disposition. But certainly the Holy Spirit will affect your disposition and the way you preach. But notice they were not only able to resist that, but also his wisdom. It's what he said. It says of Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 46, The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. They were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody ever spake like him. Nobody. And again, 
in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he, he spoke kindly. He, he spoke different. Not just in his private conversation, but even the way that he, the way that he preached. And he spake different than the Pharisees and, and those that, that taught back then. You know, as a father and even as a mother, the older your children are, the more they need your wisdom. And the more they need their patience. Now, I was always kind to my children when they were younger, but I'm, I'm, I'm even more kinder to them now. And I was never rude. God willing, I hope I was never rude to them when they were younger. But I'm even more careful now. Because the relationship can shift. It always, we, we say, well, the relationship shifts. But it doesn't, it doesn't for some. Because it doesn't become a friendship. And I think some, some of it's right here. It's because, because your kids can't resist the spirit and the wisdom. Never man spake like this man. Now, we're talking about preaching. And some of you aren't preachers, but you taught in Sunday school this morning. Uh, when you teach, do you do you just whip it together on a Thursday and Friday night? Do you meditate upon it? Well, see, preachers discourage you. There's only three there. Well, if you if you prepare like there's three hundred, and those three get fed, they'll bring more. And even if they're not, you, you'll give an account for it one day. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, I will give you pastors. This was a day of heresy, a day of tragedy in the nation of Israel. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, God's heart. Now, what kind of, what kind of pastors does God want? Which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. You see that? They won't just feed you with the Bible. They'll give you the truth. But they'll feed you as they give you the scriptures. It'll be with with knowledge and understanding. The word understanding has the idea of perspective, of wisdom. There's skill. There's insight there. You ever heard somebody preach and teach, and they'll bring stuff out in the Bible? You say, "Well, I wish I wish I could do that." Well, you can. It just takes time. Now, look. I know occupationally. I, I tell people I'm in occupational ministry. I think everybody's in full time ministry. And I tell people that the church pays me. It's a privilege. And I have the gift of time. That means I have time. Now, what I do with that time is I'm supposed to study. Now, I do other things with it, too. Now, it's not wrong, I guess, to play golf. I don't play golf because I've never been good at it, for one thing. Secondly, I've got a bad back and some other things. But I'm not against guys that play golf and stuff like that. But if you, gave, if you gave me options and said, okay, you can use your time for these things, I, said, I, I want to spend my life in the Word of God personally. But I also want to spend my life in the Word of God because, I, because when I stand here, I want to have something to give to you. How many times have you heard me say this or you've seen me write this in, in, in emails or, or Facebook? I'll say... Uh, this message will help you. You've heard me say that a lot. You know, because I, I believe this. This will help you. I, I, I usually don't hardly ever say that. you will learn something. Now, I want you to learn something, but I, I want you. This will help you. 
This will feed you. I will give you pastures according to my heart, which shall feed you. This will help you. This will help you. Had a friend, well, first of all, we were having Layman Strauss. We had the privilege of having here on two occasions. First time his wife had passed away. He was so discouraged and he'd walk slow. Then he got remarried the next time, two years later. And boy, he, he was walking faster. He was a different man. And uh, told a friend of mine, I said, hey, we're having Layman Strauss. He said, Layman Strauss? I want to hear him one time. How many of you know who Layman Strauss is? Yeah, Layman Strauss, one of the great preachers and the great writers and the great commentators that, that's ever lived. Honestly. Tremendous. And he stood right here. What, what, a, what a privilege we had to have him. And uh, we're having Layman Strauss. Layman Strauss. He's boring. I went with three of my friends. We sat on the back row. We fell asleep. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I love my friend too much. I said, well, that says more about you than it does Layman Strauss. And I paused because I love my friend. Younger than me, and I was trying to help him. And he bowed his head. And I said, I don't know what kind of friends you've been going with, but those aren't real good friends. You see, Dr. Strauss, when he got up to, to preach, he had something to say. He had, he had wisdom. He, he was able to communicate. You know, when you get older, when you get older, you appreciate pastors, you appreciate Bible teachers they have something to say. That preach with wisdom. That preach with insight. Am I telling the truth? And I want to ask you a question. Why can't that be true when you're 20? Now, I, I, like, I like camp meeting preaching. I'm not one, but I, every now and then we have them in here. But why, why does a guy have to do a song and a dance and have to pound the pulpit? It's a good thing to do. But pound the pulpit before he becomes a good, a good preacher. If that's what if that that's what it takes to get your attention, can I say this? I don't mean to be rude. Are you that boring? Is your mind that simple that you cannot that you cannot grasp wisdom? I, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. But I'm, I'm very sincere when I say that. But some men, women, those that teach and handle the Word of God here, it matters what you say. It matters how you say it. The, the, the thesaurus can be your friend. Use, use the same word in a different way. I preached on sexual sin here years ago. Going through 1 Corinthians 6. Gary Bird came up to me after service. He said, he said, that was really good. He said, you described sexual sin in about 20 different ways. He said, you used different, 20 different words. I said, I know I did. He said, you did that on purpose. I said, I, got, I used the thesaurus. I got my thesaurus. And I, used, I said, I used different words rather than saying the same thing every time so that people would 
it would have a different impact. I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Let me give you more scripture. We'll finish. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Now, the Hebrew word there has the idea of, of a word that people can identify with and understand. Okay? And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. So he's preaching the truth, but he's giving the he's putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. That's what Billy Sunday used to say. I remember when I first started preaching, I wrote in one of my Bibles, says, Rick, remember that you're feeding lambs, not giraffes. The words of the wise are as goads. That was a long stick. The man behind the ox, when the ox was still, he goading. Motivating. Say, how do you do that? How you stories? That's what Jesus did. That's why I tell stories a lot. Goading. And as nails, watch this, as nails fastened or driven by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. It's, it's like the force of a carpenter nailing a, 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 into a board firmly established where, where people go out and they remember, they remember that truth. They remember that, hey, I remember that. But here, here, here's what, when I was putting this together, and I saw this Ecclesiastes 12.10, the preacher sought, and here's what I want you to see, the preacher sought to find. You see that? The preacher sought to find. Now, wisdom is not cheap. Lazy people aren't wise. And if you want to dispense wisdom, and wisdom is in the words of God, if you want to minister to people, if you want to give insight, you're not going to do that by by warming things over. You're you're going to have to labor. The Bible talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 1 Timothy 5 about laboring in the Word. And study the word labor there and see what it means sometimes. It means become fatigued. Sometimes I'll, I'll come up from I'll come up from downstairs where I do most of my work. And uh, Paula will be up there. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm on vacation. I'll take about 10 minutes just to clear my mind. I, I've been down there to, to too much. I'm on vacation. And then go back and, and labor some more. Now, you can't do that. I'm not expecting you to do that. But I want people when they come here, when they walk out of your classes and and they they come to our pulpits and that they walk out and say, I was helped. And I did learn something. And I was helped. Wisdom, wisdom is a principal thing. I wonder how many of you are are leading an adventure, you're leading your home, you're Leading at work, you're leading in a community affair, you're leading your children, and you need God's wisdom. Are you, as you minister the Word of God, should you bow your head with me? While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you just cry out to God? Would you humble yourself? While you're there, whatever it is, just humble yourself and cry. Say, God, help me. Help me. I need your wisdom. 
I cannot do this without you. I, I plead with you. I need you. I love that old hymn. I need thee every hour. God, I need you. I need you. I don't want to make mistakes. Every choice, every decision has a result. God, I, I want to make a wise decision here. If you're here and you never trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're lost. You're going to hell. You don't know Jesus. The wisest thing you'll ever do is to turn from your sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And He rose again to forgive you of all of your sins so that your heart could be fresh and new and cleansed. Not only can you go to heaven one day when you die, but you can have heaven here on earth and knowing Him and walking with Him. If you'd like to know Him, would you pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I've broken Your law. I need to be saved. Would You save me right now? Forgive me of all of my sins. Come to my life right now and save me from my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. And help me to live for you with all of my heart. I trust you as my Savior. If you meant that, the Bible says in Romans 10, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he will save you and he will change you. Anybody like that say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer and I meant that with all of my heart. Nobody looking but me. I prayed that and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that? Anybody? A man, woman, teenager? Our Heavenly Father, you see our hearts today and all of us need you. We need your wisdom. Lord, if you put us all together, our wisdom would be pitiful. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. I pray you'd help us. Some of us are facing some really big decisions here. I pray you'd help us as leaders to know what to do, what not to do. Help us to have the macro view, not to get the lost, lost in the forest, so much in the forest we can't even see the trees. I pray for some young people here and maybe even some older people that they're a little bit discouraged about their leadership. I pray that you just help them to become good problem solvers and make wise decisions in the present. And that you would open up doors for them. I pray, Father, for those that are in our church that teach the word of God. That you would make them men and women in the word. That they would seek principles and seek insights. And that you would open the word of God as they meditate upon it. And that they would bring that excitement and that joy to their classes on Wednesday night and Sundays and other times when they, when they teach and they share And Lord, that uh, those that listen to them could not resist the wisdom and the spirit in which they share that. And please help us. As we leave today, help us to make wisdom the principal thing. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, we'll see you tonight at 530. And... uh,